Welcome back to SwitchCast. Tonight, we are actually not live. We're launching season two of SwitchCast on the road. I wanted to get some really interesting guests on the show for you guys, and it's a little bit difficult to convince people to come to Cleveland. Even in the summer, it's uh, not the greatest place in the world, but whatever. We're here, and, and, and we love it for what it is. That being said, we took a trip to New England this past weekend and visited some incredible collections, museums, and car shows, including the Audrain Automotive Museum to see the supercar collection. We uh, visited Autostrada, and uh, man, it was a great time when we saw some incredible cars. But one of the interviews we conducted was with Jimmy Rapazzi of Rapazzi Motorworks. If you know anything about Porsches, you probably will have heard his name. He is the go-to guy for Carrera GT service. Now, if Carrera GT doesn't mean anything to you, that is Porsche's famous supercar that they built in 2004 and 5 with a V10 engine mid-mounted, a carbon monocoque chassis that was essentially developed from a uh, Formula One project. So it is uh, as close as you can get to a race car for the streets. It is uh, Porsche's um, probably their best supercar they've ever made. Some people may fight me on that as, as saying the 959 is, is better or more significant or whatever, but I, I think the Carrera GT is, is my favorite Porsche ever. Anyway, being that they are complicated engineering projects, they are pretty difficult to work on and you need somebody that knows what they're doing, not just your average Porsche mechanic. They need special training and special tools. Jimmy Rapazzi has been working on those cars for the better part of the past decade, and he has established himself as probably the world's foremost expert on those vehicles. When we went into his facility, he had no less than, I think, 10 Carrera GTs in his shop. So I was very excited not only to see his shop, but to find out about how he got to where he is and what he's doing. So tune in. Sorry you can't call in and ask your questions, but I think there will be plenty of uh, knowledge, and uh, I hope my own questions for Jimmy will uh, suffice for you guys tonight. Enjoy the show. First of all, thank you for sitting down with me for opening up the shop to us and letting us check it out. Um, I know for you, it's just work and you come in every day and you look at a Carrera GT and you see what needs to be done. But for us, this is this is eye candy. This is really special. Um, but uh, give me a little bit of your background uh, with cars. Are you a car guy? How did you, you know, did you grow up around cars? How did you kind of get to uh, where you were wanting to start your own shop? Um, I think it's a pretty common story. Um, started off as a hobby when I was in high school. Um, admittedly, I was um, not into German cars at all when I first started, uh, you know, turning wrenches and, and you know, and I was more enthusiastic about the, the last the, name, like Rapazzi. I'm really surprised you weren't into German cars. <laughs> no, that's right. I mean, and again, I think it was um, I was focused on um, a, a, what was attainable. You okay. know, of course, everybody would. You know, growing up, I had the Ferrari posters, the Lamborghini posters, maybe even some Porsches. Probably didn't know the difference between the three brands. You know, growing up as a kid, because they were just so unattainable. Um, so my background started just just wrenching in the garage on you know, tuner cars and, okay. um, left. What age did you start doing that? I'd say maybe my last year of high school. Okay. All right. Were your parents into cars or you just, 
No, not at all. Just all the right. just the group of guys that I was hanging out with at the time. Okay. All right. So if you weren't into the supercars um, as as a kid, what was like a dream car for you? When you were 15, what was your dream car? Um, a lot of Japanese cars. Okay. Um, whether it be Nissan R33, R34, um, Supra. Um, uh, but yeah, definitely the Japanese cars. Okay. All right. Uh, what's the first car you owned? First car was a Ford Focus ZX2. Wow. Which, um, you're young. How old are you? I'm 30. I'm 34. Okay. I feel like they didn't even come out with focus until like the mid 2000s. Oh, I'm sorry. Did I say focus? The Ford Escort ZX2. Yeah. It was, was um, man, that that math doesn't work. Yeah. It was, uh, it was their sport version of the Escort. Yeah. I think it was like a 2002. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I was very unappreciative at the time, um, because my, my parents gave it to me. Um, it was the first car they provided me and it was a 2002 had like 30,000 miles and, you know, essentially a new car. Um, but because it wasn't cool and yeah, those were definitely, yeah, not, definitely cool. not cool, definitely wasn't going <laughs> to impress any girls with it. Still um, not cool. yeah, it was an automatic, um, oh. didn't treat it very well. Oh, no. Yeah. It didn't last very long. It <laughs> <laughs> All right. What was the first cool car you owned? Um, I went through a lot of Integras right after that. That was kind of my entry into, um, you know, my enthusiasm for cars. When you um, say went through a lot of them, did you blow them up or wreck them or you uh, just had ADD? A combination of all three <laughs> of those things. Um, you know, blew them up, did engine swaps, wrecked them, sold them. Um, so I had like two or three second generations and then uh, finally got my um, third generation last year, 2001. And... Um, I, uh, f- fortunately for me, it happened right at the time where I was starting to mature a little bit. My driving style was calming down and, uh, I was able to hold on to that one and I still have it today. No more um, front wheel drive street races in the middle. Yeah. Of the yeah. Some one wheel burnouts. Yes. That's right. Or, or reckless driving on the highway with your friends. And so I, um, heavily modified that and hung on to that all through high school, all through trade school and, uh, where did still you have grow it. up? Um, in Connecticut. Okay. All right. Cool. Um, good roads around here. Fel- fellow New Englander. I grew up in Maine. Oh, so, yeah. They're great. Uh, I'll, uh, being a Maine snob, though, we looked at Connecticut people as basically like the annex of New York. So <laughs> we, uh, you've probably seen the memes of, of the map of New England and Connecticut's like X'd out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So growing up you're working on tuner cars you started wrenching on tune your buddy's tuner cars in your garage your parents garage or you had your own garage uh it was it was definitely my parents garage <laughs> or my friend's uh garage um how did your parents take that um i think they i don't think they mind you know it, it was um they, i think they were just happy that i wasn't out and you know causing trouble or you know they're concerned about what i was doing you know and i was either home working on the car all night or i was out driving the car all night so they out of the two they would rather have me home wrenching on the car sure. um not to you say it didn't arrested for the, yeah for that. not to say it didn't inter, you know uh, um it didn't inconvenience them at times um one 
instance in particular, um, when I was converting my Integra to right-hand drive, I needed, <laughs> I needed to, <laughs> well, it, 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 like, like we spoke about earlier, um, you know, back in, this is probably 2008 at the time that you, you couldn't import them yet. Right. You know, now you would just import one. It would, it's actually less expensive, um, let alone far less work. Um, but during that conversion, we didn't have a 220 outlet for the welder in the garage and without even thinking that it was going to be an inconvenience um went to home depot mocked up my own 220 extension cord went to my mom's kitchen moved her oven out of the the you know in between the cabinets where the oven lived and plugged in my extension cord so hours later i'm in the garage welding my car back together because it's essentially in two pieces at this point you know with the bulkhead missing the whole front is hanging off you know the frame rails um and she just comes walking into the garage because she follows this extension cord into the garage and i'm in there with a welding mask (laughs) welding my car back together no cookies for you (laughs) yeah no not at all um so her inconvenience became my inconvenience because she needed to make uh, dinner for all, you know, for the family. And so she had to unplug my welder and she was um, understanding enough to just finish cooking dinner with the oven kind of on the side. So when she was done, I could plug it back in and finish my, finish my conversion. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like you had some great parents. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they That's were very awesome. supportive <laughs> despite, despite right. everything I put them through. SwitchCast On The Road is brought to you by Celebrity Machines. Celebrity Machines offers more than 250 different screen-accurate license plates from movies and TV shows like Breaking Bad, Back to the Future, Ghostbusters, The Office, and so many more. Celebrity Machines also makes our dealer insert plates and our commemorative 2539 plates from the fastest cannonball run ever. Even though they're sponsoring SwitchCast on the road, we do not recommend using fake or display plates while you're driving. You should use actual real plates. But these will look great on your wall or maybe on the front of your car, and they make great gifts as well. Check out CelebrityMachines.com and use discount code SWITCHCAST to save a massive 25.39% at checkout. Again, that's CelebrityMachines.com, discount code SWITCHCAST. All right, so from stealing <laughs> your mom's 220 line to uh, to weld up your Integra parts to being the the Carrera GT guru of the world, fill in the, the gap there. How did you get from there to here? Um, after high school, I went to a trade school, um, UTI. It's the one that you would see the commercials late at night. They had like the hot rod. You have the white Ford GT with the blue stripes in the commercial. Right. Like you're going to get to work on that. Exactly. Um, and so I, uh, there was one right in Massachusetts, um, went there for two years, did their core program and some extra diagnostic courses. And, um, the, their selling point is their MSAT programs, which is manufacturer specific advanced training. Mm -hmm. That, that meaning, um, depending on your performance, you could apply to um, go to you know further your education with a brand specifically, and um, at the time Porsche was the premier manufacturer. Um, there was Mercedes, BMW, there was you know countless others, um, but it, the goal was if you performed well enough to apply, um, because all other um, manufacturers would automatically take you if you went through the first 
interview, if you got past mm-hmm. the first interview for Porsche, um, at the time they were taking 12 students a year. Um, so it was com- extremely competitive. You know, they had campuses all over the country. And so that's kind of why. Um, you could only apply if you were, you know, in the you know, top 3% of the class. And then it really became, you know, luck of the draw. Um, applied for Porsche, got past my first interview. And um, fortunately, the second interview um, as well. Um, funny story about that was I was nervous, showed up in a suit, tie, like it was a job interview. And um, a couple minutes into my, uh, my interview, I, we started talking about this Integra again. And I'm flipping through pages because the whole, the whole interview process at this point was um, explaining why you were different. They didn't really care so much about your grades and mm-hmm. performance because you wouldn't be there if you didn't perform well. And so I started flipping through and, you know, describing how passionate I was working on cars and attention to detail. And he just couldn't believe it. He saw the car in my mother's garage in pieces, no firewall, um, you know, then it coming back together. And he just like stops the slideshow and he, he looks at me. He's like, is this, does this car run? Like he just wanted to see where it was going because mm-hmm. he couldn't believe the car was there was nothing left, no glass, no and right. no anything. Well, because so many people get to that point, right? And then anybody it lives can in take the a car apart forever, right? It, every boomer in the world has their '66 like, Chevelle exactly. in that state in their garage, yeah. and it's been there for 30 years. Okay, so he asks if it runs. Yeah, and I said, yeah, I, I said absolutely, it, it's right outside, and he just in astonishment by that answer, he said, I have to see this. He's like, I just have to. So we got up. We went outside, and as we walk out of the interview, there's like three or four other candidates waiting to interview, and they see me in there for all of four minutes, come out with the, the guy interviewing us, and got out there, and we went for a ride. And during the interview, he just looks at me. He's like, he's like, I've never done this before. He's like, but, but unofficially, he's like, welcome to Porsche. And so um, felt very grateful for him and um, went to that program. Um, at the time, they only had one facility in Atlanta, Georgia, um, for this um, this type of training, and I was there for a year. You know, applying everything I've learned at the trade school and the extra diagnostics that I, that I took to Porsche specifically. Okay, is that is that where the Porsche Experience Center is now? Is that that same facility? It it currently is. It okay. wasn't originally there. It was it was in Atlanta. It was in a okay. uh, not not such a great area of Atlanta, College mm-hmm. Park. A lot of a lot of rappers grew mm-hmm. up there, um, and uh, but yeah. So now it would be the Experience Center, which you would. They also have factory training, yep. and this. Yeah, um, my buddy Kellen Miller works okay. down there. He's one of the three technicians there. So yeah, yeah, so they have like a little area in that building now. Yep. Okay. Cool. Cool. All right. So you worked for Porsche for a while. Did you work at a dealership? Did you work for the factory? Where you know. What got you here? So I, I graduated from from that PTAP program, um, that apprenticeship program. Um, came back home, you know, was 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 out of cash. We had to pay for our own living down there. That was the only expenses we had to take care of. Um, Porsche t- covered everything else. Um, yeah, came back, applied at uh, the local dealers in the area in Connecticut, and was very fortunate enough to get into you know my top pick. Um, it, it's a dealer right, uh, right down the street here, Porsche of Fairfield. Okay. Um, at the time they I were like, their, back when I was flipping Porsches, I mm-hmm. think I got their first or second 997 GT3. 
Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. It's a great facility. Um, at the time, I think they were like premier dealer eight years in a row, which is uh, pretty, uh, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, it wasn't very common at the time. Mm-hmm. Only 50 dealers in the country get it. And to, to have a, a running record like that, it was pretty impressive. Um, and yeah, I, I worked there until uh, last June. Last June. Okay. So you've had this place a year. I can't do math. A, a year, basically, right? Yeah. Holy cow. All right. So, man, that begs even so many questions. What what inside of you said, okay, I'm done with working at a dealer. I'm going to go open my own shop and work on the most exclusive car Porsches ever made. Um, again, I just feel very fortunate for the opportunities that, that, that have been presented to me. Um, while I was at the dealer, um, it wasn't long until um, management just realized I was a young enthusiastic technician um, I was still living at home with my parents at the time you know I started working there when I was 21 um, and but your mom had exclusive access to the 220 line now right 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 exactly <laughs> so you had dinner on time yes, every that's, night that's, that's true that I was uh, I got a stern talking to after that um, anytime I move the oven now I've got to give her uh, a seven days notice but um but yeah, so I, 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 I always put, um, you know, learning and, and really just my passion before the, the money. And it started way back then. Cause it, for me, I'd rather, you know, make half as much money, either learning to diagnose a vehicle, learning to disassemble engines, you know, the hard work that doesn't necessarily, um, you don't necessarily get compensated for mm-hmm. as, as much as other, other work, you know, the way f- the flat rate system and the dealers pay, um, it, it's, it's much easier to turn hours when you're doing basic service work. Right. Every, every job has, a, has a, a right. set hourly rate and that doesn't change whether it takes you longer or shorter amount of time. And so the idea is you just keep beating the time right? and then going to the next job. So, yeah. So it sounds like really quickly and then I'll let you finish. It sounds like you were essentially working for retirement, whereas everybody else was working for the weekend. You know, the, yeah, the, the average tech. I mean, that, that's not to generalize, but, you know, that's how you were setting yourself out. You had a you had a vision of, of something you wanted to accomplish and something you wanted to be. And you made decisions accordingly. Looking back on it, I agree. Um, but in fairness, I was just a young kid that that enjoyed. <laughs> you didn't know that was yeah, the plan I just enjoyed was... taking things apart. Okay. You know, I, like I, I wanted to learn. I'd rather you know I'd rather do these difficult jobs or or labor intensive jobs. Um, like I said, and get and and lose money essentially, not right. not making it. Yeah, and, you yeah, can't not finishing bill for it. all the hours exactly. you're working on it. Yeah, rather do that than do four break jobs in a day. Because mm-hmm. that's how you make the money in a de- you know at a dealer right. for break you know or service work. Right. You just keep turning that stuff over. Right. And for me, but that, you're not learning. You're not learning. It's redundant. Um, don't get me wrong. It's it's um, a, a key part of of the learning process. So the first few years there was a lot of that, but then it gets stagnant. Mm-hmm. You, you know, you don't really learn anything if you're only taking wheels off to do tires or wheels off to do brakes. You, you know, you're inspecting the suspension. You know, you may need, you may eventually get some warranty work if you find oil leaks and stuff. But again, in, unless you put yourself in the position to, to learn and to grow, it's very easy to just get caught up in that cycle. Mm-hmm. And like you said, chase that 
weekly paycheck mm-hmm. and forget why you're doing what you're doing. Mm-hmm. You know, once you start focusing on the numbers rather than the, the cars and the client, it's, it, you know, it, it, for me, it just lost all of its joy. Sure. And, and so, like I said, I mean, I, I didn't realize it at the time, but the management noticed and when the, there was an opportunity to work on uh, my first Carrera GT, it was only because the older, you know, the older technicians that were originally trained to work on them um, no longer wanted to. You know, they were, you know, getting closer to retirement. They just wanted some of the easy work. And, I mean, it's, it's pretty intimidating taking these cars apart. Sure. And, again, it's, though it's at the dealer, most of this stuff is service work on these cars, it, it, you don't do it enough to get you know uh, efficient enough to make your money right so doing a service on this could take two days and it may, may pay you know half a day or three quarters of a day mm-hmm. worth of worth of pay and um yeah so once the senior guys kind of turned their head they needed somebody to work on the cars and i was given a few opportunities <laughs> and and so like i said you know as a, as a, I know a lot of stuff goes on at service departments, but that's that's definitely not what the guy owning a Carrera GT wants to hear. Like, oh, I took it to the Porsche dealer because they're the Porsche dealer. None of the experienced guys wanted to work on it, so they went with the young guy. Yeah, um, and it's not it's not what you want to hear, um, but unfortunately, that's the reality. Yeah, and that that you know gap has only gotten larger over the years, and. Again, you know, hindsight, it's, it's easy for me to look back and see, but I, as I started working on them um, and, and doing more of the bigger jobs and getting more cars sent from outside of our normal service area because of the word of mouth, mm-hmm. um, you know, communication with these owners. You know, it's actually funny you say that because I now, like you're jogging my memory and I do remember, you know, before I had heard about Rapazzi and credit to Dave Benson, do you know him from mm-hmm. Chicago? Yeah. He was the one who who uh, introduced me to you, um, I had heard, in addition to a couple places in, in Atlanta, um, that Porsche Fairfield was like the place to send your career GT. Right. So, yep. Yeah, and, and I didn't realize it at the time, but it was, it's because I was filling this gap of, uh, you know, senior guys, you know, because, you know, if we just break it down to the numbers, we're talking now we're talking at, like you know, 2010, 2009 or 2011 was really when I started working on these cars. Um, the cars came out in 2004 Four, or five. Three, so so technicians yeah. were sent in 03. Mm-hmm. And in 03, you sent your elite guy, you know, you know, he's usually older in age. He has been, you know, been in the industry for a while. And 10 years later. He's either moved on, yeah. He's either moved yeah. on to an independent because he's he can't keep up with the grind of a dealer, or he he's still there, but you know he just wants to get through the day. He just wants to do the easy easier jobs, um, and and yeah. So like, like I said, I mean I didn't realize it at the time, but that's why I was getting so many calls and so many cars from outside of the area. It's just you know the the community realized that there was somebody that was you know fulfilling uh, fulfilling a need and um yeah it it became before i knew it it was just like a snowball effect it it went from me doing one or two a year to three or four and then there was always one car at the dealer then it was always two then it was always three and it just it happened so quick i didn't even realize it and um um furthermore on this this gap um 
um, point I'm trying to make, um, the regional rep, which was coming around mm -hmm. and he would love to come in and he would go straight to my, I have, I had a little corner at the dealer and he would just, he'd just love to come in and ask where the cars were from, you know, cause he's familiar with the cars. He's, mm -hmm. he's been around them for years, but he, he got his, uh, uh, enjoyment just to see how far they were coming from. Yeah. And I think I had done like 30 engine out services, which is that big major service, mm -hmm. um, that these cars are, are known for needing. Sure. And he made a little joke about, Hey, you could probably teach the training course. And I was just like, you know, I kind of just laughed it off and I was like, yeah, I, I haven't even taken it. And he, he stopped in his tracks cause he couldn't believe it. And the, 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 the issue was, is because the cars had dropped in value, customers weren't doing in-depth services and they didn't realize that the cars were going to start coming back for this, these bigger services. They hadn't provided the training in 10 years. And so he immediately left, got on the phone, made these phone calls, made, you know, Porsche North America aware of this need. And it wasn't just, it, it really had nothing to do with me, but he knew if it happened here in Fairfield, at my dealer, it was happening all over the country, right. meaning these young apprentices or young enthusiastic technicians were getting these cars rather than the, the techs that were trained on them because they had moved on. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, so they, they had started the course back up. And, and I think I had, like I said, probably about 40 engines out before taking the class. And all the class is, it's, it's, it's a five-day. yawn and sleep through the class? I, um, I, I learned no. a lot. I mean, yeah. you know, there was... Um, uh, some more there was some technical stuff mm -hmm. that I got to learn um rather than just the hands on portion but the the class in itself is just a five day course and you literally pull the engine out you look at it and put it back in um i mean it it there is a lot of uh unique procedures in in mm -hmm. doing that but that's only you know a a fifth of what goes into servicing these cars i mean you don't even take a valve cover off you know to do the valve adjustment which is the part the actual reason why you take the engine out for the major service right. in in class so they don't even know what they you know underneath the valve cover looks like wow well we have a new sponsor for switchcast season two and that is nathan's detailing located in cleveland ohio part of the reason they're sponsoring us is because our producer ethan is also their marketing manager and in order to take some time to go on the road and bring ethan with us he needed a fair amount of time off so nathan's is proud to uh let him come with us for these adventures and uh, ethan's becoming a car guy in the meantime and uh, we're, we're very thankful to them for their sponsorship uh, Nathan's is a full-service automotive detail facility. They uh, work for dealers, for private individuals, and I believe they even do mobile detailing. They do PPF, paint correction, ceramic coating, the whole works. So if you're looking to have your car fully detailed after a road trip like one we just took, take it over to Nathan's Detailing. You can find them on Instagram, on Twitter, on TikTok, on every social media platform. Again, thanks to Ethan, uh, our producer and their marketing manager. So check out Nathan's Detailing if you want your car to be clean and fresh. All right. Um, so th that gives me an idea of the background and obviously <laughs> the connection. So at what point did you say or, or what inside of you said, I'm... I want to start my own shop. 
Um, it was really just, so once I built the clientele and, and really found my niche of what I enjoy doing day to day, um, it got to the point where, um, working inside the, the, the confinements of a dealer, um, I just wasn't able to provide the, the service service experience that mm-hmm. I'd want. Um, and what I mean by that is, is, um, you know, working with the clients on the financials, just because components are, are extremely expensive and, and just the whole process can be, um, streamlining the transport logistics and, um, documentation, having the clients come in and visit, you know, every, every part of it had its own, um, restrictions and, and difficulties and hurdles. And it, it for me, it, <clears throat> it got to a point where I just felt like it, it was holding back the overall, what the overall product could be, mm-hmm. you know, cause I the mean, overall customer experience. Yeah. yeah. I mean, cause let's, let's be honest. Uh, nobody's enthusiastic about bringing their car in for service work. Right. If it's broken or if it needs, right. if you're modifying it or, you know, there's, well, there's some sort of money to get it back to where it was before. Right. <laughs> like, right. Yeah. And so, um, what I enjoy doing is documenting it, talking to the client, you know, providing an education of, of what goes into the service and, and you know, what each part, what they gain from it. And, um, it just was, it was, it was just difficult through the dealer. Sure. Um, you know, mainly just cause it was, it, it was, it was getting so expensive working with, you know, their labor rates, their, their parts markup. And then in addition to, to that, having to spend so much time, on my own, you know, not turning a wrench, communicating with the clients, talking about this right. stuff, and, and then not getting paid, and for and, that. and myself not getting right. compensated for it, right? And so it, it really became, uh, um, it got to the point where I knew it could be mutually beneficial, and that's when everything just clicked. Sure. As soon as I realized that not only would I be helping myself, which you know wasn't a priority, but it got to the point where I could provide a better service service experience for the client it just it just made all the more sense sure okay is the, is the dealer tick that you left and took all their business or <laughs> did you leave with their blessing um no they were really excited i mean they they knew i i've been there 13 years mm-hmm. and it it really got to the point where um i do all my own scheduling i do all the logistics for transport i'd even do most of the the service writer's job mm-hmm. it really just the only reason i would lean on them was for you know, just paperwork signing and authorizations, you know, the legality right. issues. So parts. you were running everything. Yeah, I was essentially running a little business okay. in those two little base. And so they kind of already, you know, they kind of saw it coming. But um, I... And, I, and they were probably, again, going back to what you said about, like, it's hard to bill properly. You know, you, you can't make money doing flat rate on Carrera GT. Right. So... They're looking at it. It's not like you took their oil change business away. That was a huge profit center for them. It probably was not a a big money maker for them as much as it was a good like anchor. Right. And it probably got clients in the door. You know, and and that's exactly right. You didn't burn their service shop down. They're still booking three weeks out. I'm sure. And, exactly. You know, billing flat rate. And yeah. So the, them out. they were always very supportive of me. They they always knew we, the time would come. We've had we had multiple conversations years before um, the actual decision came up um, in 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 how to transition. Mm-hmm. You know, for to make it work for for both parties. Um, 
and then of course you know that end you know so i appreciate all the support they've always given me um but more importantly like you said me being in there having two bays which at that point um the dealer had grown in size so much that that many of the technicians had two bays it wasn't cost effective Mm -hmm. um and yeah so to have to have two bays tied up with carrera gt work and me being the least efficient technician in the in the shop it just didn't make sense. Right. You, know, you know, you've got to think about the dollars and cents of it. How many, right. how many cayenne services and brake jobs could they do in that same bay over the course of a four to six week period that it took me to do one service? Yeah. So, you know, yeah. sure, and the, the invoices. Yeah. Higher too. Right. The Anything insurance rates. Wrong, ha- yeah. yeah. That's exactly right. So, okay. you know, the, the, big, the big invoice at the end of the, the month or six weeks Sure, it was impressive, but if you broke that down, mm-hmm. I mean, even if you just broke down the hourly rate, um, um, you know, you, you, it, it sounds like a lot of hours, but when you know what goes into it, you know, what, yeah. these services could be anywhere from 80, 100 to 120 hours, which it's, it's kind of shocking. Mm-hmm. And then you hear, but then you hear four to six weeks worth of work. That's 12, 120 hours is essentially three 40 hour work weeks. Mm-hmm. So I've, I'm actually 50% efficient if I get it done in six weeks. Right. The only, right. the only, and that's not making, that's right. That's ba- break even basically. Exactly. Yeah. And the, okay. the only reason I wasn't fired after doing my first service was because of the, the, the markup that came with the parts. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that was the only thing that, that saved it. Right. And, and I'm um, sure their sales department benefited too, because when you have those types of clients coming in, right. It, it benefits the whole yeah. the whole business okay yeah so all now right. they have just one last point on yep. that now they have all the parts sales because i buy all my parts for them without having any of the liability oh, and me okay. taking up the room right so it's it's mutually beneficial also for me and the dealer now me being down the street gotcha. i cover all the overhead and they just get the you know awesome the parts sales all right this is the joy of not life yeah <laughs> commercial break <laughs> All right, we're back with Jimmy Rapazzi, no longer with a bug on his shoulder. <laughs> um, <laughs> magic of editing. Uh, okay, so you open your own shop. Uh, hear me out on this question because it's, it's, it's uh, um, yeah, D- don't, don't take it as a, um, yeah, it's not a leading question or, or anything. So whatever, I'm just going to ask it. All right, so th- when I when I look at a lot of service shops, I kind of use the analogy or the comparison that technicians are like chefs. They're all really talented and they all think because they're really talented, they should start their own business. But most of them are terrible at business. And that's why, I mean, obviously why so many restaurants go under, but you look at like these savant technicians that go into business and it's like now you really should have just like gotten somebody to run the business and then kept working on cars because that is your strength um so i guess the question is did you have some sort of mentor or somebody on the business side of things that prepared you because obviously you had been working on cars and getting really, really good at working on cars. And, and, you know, you told me you had more of a, a understanding of the scope of the entire process. You had been running logistics, you had been doing billing, you had been communicating with the clients. So you had the foundation, but there's a whole nother aspect of just, you know, running a shop, hiring techs, 
doing the taxes, the business, all sorts of things that people are not always, I guess, cut out for. And before you answer that, I'll, I'll just say like seeing your shop and the attention to detail on the incredible, just little things. I already know the answer to that. Like you're somebody that every T has to be dotted and, and every I crossed. I said that wrong. I'm dyslexic, but whatever. Um, your metic the word meticulous is overused, but you are meticulous. Um, and, and I know you have to be to work on these cars, but I think that that personality of you being a learner and you just being meticulous probably suited you far better for running your own business than most of these guys. But I want you to speak to that in terms of how you made that transition well. And if you had people in your corner to help you with that. Um, yeah. And I, I appreciate that. And I think, um, I, I agree. Um, on all points. Um, fortunately for me, I did have that transitionary period of the last, you know, eight or nine years at the dealer, um, five years specifically, um, working with the clients directly with the billing, with the transport logistics. Um, so I definitely had a learning experience with that. And I always had people at the dealer, whether it be working the numbers for me, and then I just make the calls and just, you know, working, that that part of the business you know the 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 service advisor portion communicating with the customers about you know um cost of part you know, co cost of services and and all of that so i had a i had a lot of practice with that and fortunately the the workshop here is is it's low volume you know bespoke service um you know boutique style mm -hmm. um you know if i have one or two cars um leave a week that's a lot and, and one career GT a month, you know? So as far as that paperwork goes, it's not a whole lot. So you um, have a year's worth of work sitting here. Yeah. Most times okay. without a doubt. Um, yep. and, um, but to go further, you know, like you said, with the state paperwork and, and taxes and the government and, uh, um, paperwork, um, it's, it's like anything else. Um, I found out, I found, um, early on at the dealer, well before I touched a Carrera GT, um, that to make sure you're not only efficient, but thorough, you've got to have processes, mm -hmm. you know, and that's any, you know, to, to, to simplify into, you know, servicing a vehicle, um, you know, um, wise it, it's, you pull the car into the, you know, to the work bay. You review the, the paperwork and what you're going to be doing on the car. You perform your safety check. And all of that is the same, whether it's a Carrera GT or a 911 or a Boxster. Um, and then you, 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 so you kind of start, you know, wide and you, then you focus and funnel in to, okay, now this client it has these concerns. This car's here for this. And, and doing that, you cover all the bases. Mm -hmm. um, and I approached all that all that paperwork in the same way you know the first first time going through it there was you know a lot of fumbling a lot of doing things over double checking doing things incorrectly finding out after paperwork has been submitted but all of it is just you know keeping records of that and now having you know procedures in place mm -hmm. you know a reminder on the calendar at the end of every month that i've got to pay my state taxes you know reminder on the calendar you know every time quarterly reports are due you know you know things of that and it's, it's all about just setting up those 
those processes and systems and it kind of simplifies everything. Gotcha. You know, I, f- I find people, um, they get, they get lost and, and almost cause more of the, the anxiety of those jobs, just thinking about it than mm-hmm. actually sitting down and going through it. Cause it may only take you 30 minutes to do that type of work. But if you put it off for weeks, you've put more time into putting it off and, and yep. getting, getting worried about it than just sitting down and getting it done. That, honestly, that's my weakness. I'm thankful to have a good team around me to help me with those things. Um, yeah, I, I don't like paperwork, but you make it sound so simple. It is, <laughs> you're dealing with the government. I would but, love to yeah. have somebody on the payroll. Um, I don't want, I don't want uh, um, there to be any miscommunication there. I don't want to make it sound like I enjoy doing it by any means. Um, but again, well, you know, I, it I is a small... I had to get yeah. good at it. I'm like the local title bureau is like, man, you guys are great with titles. And like, I'm meticulous about that stuff because I don't want it to get rejected. But I hate that I'm really, really good at title paperwork for the state of Ohio. Like I'm like, I don't need to know that, but you know, it's something that I had to learn Mm -hmm. to get by until I could show somebody else. And and I'm sure you've got a process and you may not have even realized it was a process. No, but the, but the way you <laughs> but the way you approach it was you know there was there was steps that you t- take yeah and getting through it and and like I said you don't realize it when you're doing it until you need to explain it and then you realize you you approached every title the same way or every mm-hmm. car the same way yeah and you, and you may not have even had known yeah yeah all right so there's a saying and um, there's a saying sell to the masses and eat with the classes have you heard that. Sell no, to the masses, eat with the classes. Sell to the classes, eat with the masses. So it's, it's basically a principle that if you're selling to the super wealthy, you will not become like them. You are, you know, going to be on a, a lower level. But if you're selling to the general public, that is how you get wealthy. Um, and I, I think the saying is probably more applicable to you know, somebody trying to get incredibly wealthy, right? Um, you know, Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk and all those guys that they, they, you know, uh, Michael Dell, Bill Gates, they didn't design crazy expensive things just for a few people. They're trying to sell to a lot of people. So, you know, you're not trying to become a billionaire. So that, that saying may not apply, but, and obviously there are plenty of people, myself included, who, have made fine livings um, servicing the wealthy. Uh, but I, I think it, the, the principle could still be the same because you even brought it up, right? So like servicing a Carrera GT is not as profitable. The specialized service is not as profitable as like if you put in a quick lube here, you'd be making, correct me if I'm wrong, a lot more money. And you know, you, you would probably own your own Carrera GT a lot faster by having an oil service shop versus working on people's Carrera GT. And that's kind of like the, the example of that saying. Um, so the question there is, I mean, obviously it's, it's partly answered by seeing what you do. Your business is partly probably driven by passion. Because if you're in it only for the profits, then, you know, you wouldn't be doing this. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, the answer is 
that simple. It, it's it's not um, about just the just the bottom line. For me, it's just every day coming in and whether it be um, refining the the process in servicing the cars or or streamlining how I do it or um, or solving problems that that don't exist um, to most. Um, you know, that's, that's why I do it. it mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's working through the cars to make them as, as good as possible. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and that's why I do it. It's, you know, it, it, it like, you know, perfect example is servicing, just doing annual services, even on Carrera GTs. I mean, that's, there's still a good amount of money in that rather than disassembling them for four to six weeks, ordering parts, having things sit. Um, but for me, it's, it's not about that. It, it, you know, it's about working through the car thoroughly, systematically making it better, or at least bringing it back to how, how it left the factory. Mm-hmm. Um, cars are 17 years old and, and they've found their, their way into some interesting hands, whether it be owners or, or craftsmen. And so, um, even the 2000 mile cars come in and, and, you know, they can need, you know, not only a lot of deferred maintenance work, but, you know, repairing things that may have been modified previously or not put together properly. Um, and then also, you know, furthering it. Um, cause as, as amazing as the cars are, it, it, they do have inherent weak points. Mm-hmm. You know, yep. it, it's, it's technology that was in, that was designed in the, in the nineties. Um, early nineties for the engine, um, late nineties for the chassis and, um, and technology has come so far since then. Yeah. And that's right. Cause the engine was part of another project, right? That got shelled. Well, not shelled, totally canned. Yeah. Two, two separate, um, projects that were canned. It was originally, um, for an F1 team, uh, footwork. Um, it was a three liter V10, Rev to like fourteen hundred RPM or fourteen thousand RPMs um, with pneumatic valve train, and then it was it was, sh- it was shelved because um, the team left them just as they're finishing um, up the engine, um, and then it went to a Lama chassis um, V10 five point five liter. Um, got rid of the pneumatic valve train regular overhead um, cams, and uh, again that was that was shelved. Uh, a lot of different discrepancies on why. That second project was shelved, but you know the end result was the same, and then it became a, a streetcar. Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean the architecture goes all the way back to that first F1 engine, and so uh, engine specifically has very few weak points. It's um, more other parts of the chassis, whether it be the the suspension, the brakes, the clutch. Um, and so it's, it's working through all of those components, um, you know, using, just applying today's technology, um, to, to those problems mm-hmm. that, that, you know, back, you know, in, in the early nineties, there was a compromise with the clutch, you know, the, the, talking about that specifically, you know, the, the modulation of the clutch, how, how small it had to be and how light it had to be. It was revolutionary for its time. Um, I think there's something like 92 patents that were submitted when Porsche went to sell the car to the public um, because it was all new tech. And nowadays, I mean, the clutch is nothing dissimilar than you'd, you could buy for a streetcar. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's just going through and, and, you know, 
working through these components and coming up with with fixes whether it be because of just plain cost or just applying the technology that's available today wow switchcast is proudly brought to you by switch cars switch cars is the enthusiast dealership where we buy sell service store and consign only cars that we like ourselves check out our hand-picked inventory at switchcars.com our pick of the week in uh, it's fitting with uh, visiting the Carrera GT and other Porsche GT specialist is a Porsche GT3 2007 Porsche GT3 with about 12,000 miles red with the typical uh, black Alcantara and leather interior we've sold this car I think three different times already all to very good clients and uh, in keeping with the name switch cars, they keep switching cars and it keeps coming back to us. So it's a really excellent example. It has a lot of painted red trim on the inside, uh, which some people love and some people love a little bit less, but uh, I like it. And I think it's a, a nice departure from the Spartan interior of many GT3s. The car is 100% original, all original paint, all factory stock, completely up to date on service recent tires ppf is a really really excellent example you can check that one out again on switchcars.com how much okay so you mentioned the clutch and uh for those of you that don't know i guess if you don't know what a carrera gt is maybe you we, we've lost you by this <laughs> by this point but porsche carrera gt is probably one of the most interesting cars that Porsche has ever made. Um, obviously, they've made a lot of race cars, but this is the only, I would say, other than the 959, this is probably their their first supercar for the street. Obviously, the 918 Spider uh, was built recently, but it was pretty much one of a kind. It was an analog V10 mid-engine supercar, a departure from the flat six rear engine 911s it was its styling was incredible it was a carbon monocoque chassis it was to way way oversimplify it it was a formula one car for the road can i say that without looking like a a, a porsche yeah noob? I, yeah i mean <laughs> yeah you know, a lot of the tech came from the formula yeah. one yeah um, so again, that's, that's an over, it's like saying a, a, a GT3 RS is a, is a track car for the street. It's, it's not, it's a street car for the track. But anyway, um, they were $450,000 when they first came out in 2004, uh, which was so much money at the time that they, most of them actually didn't sell and they had to discount them heavily. Um, they're now anywhere from a million dollars to two and a half million um, and you know, there's 10 of these in the shop. They're, they're very, uh, technical to work on. Um, and that's why people send their cars to somebody like, like, uh, Rapazzi. So, um, the, the clutch is one of the things that people talk about a lot because it is a very small lightweight clutch. The car revs very, very quickly and, um, it, it makes it a little bit difficult to drive until you really learn the friction point on the clutch and, and get your footwork to, to match your, <laughs> to match what you want it to do. But, um, everybody says the clutch is impossible to use, that they're fragile. Um, what is the real story on that? Is it just user error or are these clutches really 
fragile and difficult? I think, (laughs) yeah, I mean, it definitely has a reputation and usually it's the first topic that comes up with these cars. It's, uh, you know, as soon as they hear the clutch about the, the car, it's the next topic is the clutch. Um, I personally don't have any problem, um, driving it or, or using the clutch like any other car. Um, I don't either, but you know, <laughs> I, I think it's more of a, um, of a throttle issue to be, to be honest. Um, right. cause the clutch itself, uh, uh, the, the car has a system built into the, the engine control unit that if you don't give any throttle input, it's a, it's an anti-stall. So if mm-hmm. you don't put any throttle input at all, um, and you just let the clutch out slowly, it'll give it'll the car enough on. revs to move forward mm-hmm. without stalling anti-stall. Um, and so, but that could be very time consuming. And so what, what ends up happening, either clients don't know that systems in place or they improperly use it, or they just try to not use it. Um, I say improperly because I, I'll talk to clients often and it's very hard not to give any throttle input. Mm-hmm. You just, sometimes you don't even realize it. You know, your foot's resting on the throttle pedal and two or 3% is enough to shut the system down. Cause it's only designed to 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 you know come into play with zero percent throttle input and so they'll just rest their foot there and it shuts the system down and they call me saying that the system doesn't work i've gotten many calls cars sent here and not once have i ever been able to confirm <laughs> um because there was a lot of rumors about that too that uh, that the cars were originally sold without it and then they added it and it was a software update you have a that, line item on your billing for user error <laughs> well yeah and so um yeah which none of that's true the car was originally sold with it it was in every car not once sure. have i confirmed it wasn't installed on a car it's usually just them resting the foot their foot on the pedal mm-hmm. and then um Secondly, it's when they try to drive the car without the system, they, they're not able to control the throttle enough. And that's right. what I meant by it being a throttle issue, not a clutch issue. Sure. So because a, it revs so freely. Ex- yeah. Exactly. And, and, the, and the, your timing has to be perfect. Right. And the easiest way to, to explain it to people is like how a motorcycle revs up. You know, you just give it a little throttle and it's four or 5,000 RPMs and the Carrera GT revs up just like that. And so they'll go to modulate the clutch and give it a little gas. And as soon as they see four or 5,000, their initial reactions to let off. And if you let off and you've already started to engage the clutch, it's just going to stall. And then it compounds when you're driving on the street, the light has already turned green. You tried to pull away you stall the car. You're never moving it, moving right. it from that light now right. that you've stalled it and you've got to restart the car. Right. You've got traffic behind you. Yep. So you might as well just it's, shut it's the car like off and get out. It's your, your tee shot in, into the grass. Exactly. It, unless you're a pro, your mind is screwed. So the rest of that hole is going to be bad. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, and I, so. I let a customer test drive one, one time and it was like I knew he wasn't going to buy it because his ego was hurt because – he kept stalling the car out and cause I was behind him in his, his SLS, we traded keys and I was just like, ah, dang it. And he made up all sorts of intelligent sounding reasons why he wasn't going to buy the car. And I'm like, it's cause, it's cause he couldn't drive yeah. it. But anyway, um, okay. So how these clutches tend to not last very long. Whenever anyone buys a car, they want a clutch measurement. That's like the first thing they ask. 
It's like asking for a DME report on a mm-hmm. <laughs> 911 GT3. You can do um, that too on this. Yep. The DME. Yep. Um, but uh, how long have you seen a clutch? Or I guess, one, how long in theory could a clutch last if somebody actually knows how to drive it? Or what's the longest life you've seen out of a clutch? Um, so I... From personal experience, this is all I'm going to speak on because I've heard tons of, we've all heard the stories, you know, the car left the dealer and the flatbed driver smoked the clutch, putting Mm -hmm. it on the truck and it had 20 miles. You know, we've all heard those stories. And so from personal experience, um, there's a, there's a local client and admittedly, um, this, he bought the car before I was working at the dealer, but per his service records, um, he replaced the clutch at 3,000 miles. Mm -hmm. And that's not that unheard of Mm -hmm. on a car like this. And so that people have kind of thought that, you know, 3,000, 5,000, 8,000, if you're good, you know, they kind of go by those numbers. Um, But that same client replaced it at 3,000 and he has 22,000 now and it's not even half worn. Gotcha. And so you know, obviously he learned to drive the car and within those 3000 miles and went through the repair and continued driving it. And so that same second clutch has 19,000 miles on it with more than half life. And so, you know, that's, that's the, the one personal experience and the one client that I could speak on. Um, I've seen other cars that, um, are one owners, I don't necessarily have the records to confirm, but they're one owner cars with 30,000 miles on the original clutch. And so it doesn't seem like it's that unheard of. Um, but you know, with those facts, I would assume that the cars can be, or the clutches can be driven and last just as long as any other clutch for a car. If, if driven properly. Gotcha. Yeah. I, the, the e- egoist in me wants to, own a career GT long enough to prove that I can make a clutch last 25,000 miles. Um, okay. What is, you know, people always ask about like Lamborghinis and Ferraris and, and people not experienced would say like, Oh, well, I couldn't own one of those oil changes, $4,000. You know, that's, that's kind of the, the assumption of these types of supercars. Um, and, you know, on a modern Lamborghini, that's ridiculous. But on these cars, I mean, you do have to take a significant portion of the car apart. So, like, you, you were explaining to me about how to get the battery out, right? You have to take all the under tray panels off, the brake caliper, like, just to, to slide it out because it's behind the fender. You said it was a six- or eight-hour job to remove the battery. So, certainly some of those assumptions about how difficult these cars are to, to service are true. But, like, what what would be an average service cost in this car? The, the big major service aside, if you're just driving the car a couple thousand miles a year, you bring it in for an annual service, like what's an oil change cost and what's the, yeah, what is an oil change cost and what would like the average bill on one of these be that's not a full engine out major? Um, I mean, specifically, um, you know, an annual service on the car um, is six hours labor. So Mm -hmm. depending on where you are in the country and what your region charges, it's, you know, your hourly rate times six. And then the components, it's like $200, $250 worth of, um, you know, 
components, you know, filters, so, gaskets, seals. Um, Twelve hundred bucks, yeah. give or take. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. So, and, so not exorbitant, and that's more than just an oil change. Right. It's you know it's a full look over, and that includes removing those under panels we we're talking about, and and if it did need a battery, it, it, it's part of the pre-check if it's done. Um, mm-hmm. You know, checking the charging system. Um, the starting system and the battery. Um, if it is, you know, deemed that the battery is getting, getting old and needs to be replaced, there's a lot of overlap there. Um, you know, like you said, all those under panels would be removed already to get to the battery. And so um, it's, it's, I mean, if you stay on top of it and you do your annual services and you do the, the interim services um, it, 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 and you spread over out the cost, it's not all that much. Mm-hmm. It's it's catching the car up on deferred maintenance from 17 years of non-use, mm-hmm. which can get expensive. Yeah, and that's another question I wanted to ask people. People are scared of putting miles on exotic cars. You know, everybody wants to buy the low mileage Ferrari, and then some people are scared of buying low mileage cars because they haven't been serviced. So, what do you see with these cars? Is a 40,000 mile car typically going to need less things when it comes to you versus a a thousand mile car or what issues do you see with the the non-mileage the non-driven collector cars i mean it's a machine so as any machine if it doesn't go used in a regular basis you know things are going to fail um you know whether it be seals leaking gaskets you know things of that nature or just you know components of the machine deteriorating um and, and the reality of it is, um, even the higher mile cars, um, I mean, th- the 30,000 mile, 40,000 mile cars are kind of like outliers. So in Carrera GT world, higher mile cars are anywhere from 10 to 10, 20, 000, yeah. you know, f- it, you know, so let's say 15,000. Right. I mean, you break That's that still up only over 500 miles a year. It's exactly, um, yeah. you know, 500 to a thousand a year. So the reality is, is you'll never, um, consume any of the components at a higher rate than they're going to age out at hmm. meaning and and i don't i don't recommend following the maintenance intervals for the for these cars because it's the interims every two the majors every four and so to be pulling the engine out for a valve adjustment every four years is you know definitely over servicing the car mm-hmm. considering it could be a couple hundred miles in that four years um but the reality is is you'll never consume anything on the car faster than it's going to age out and that goes for tires brakes suspension and so the 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 fortunate thing for the guys who drive the cars and the unfortunate thing for the guys who don't drive the cars the the cost of ownership is exactly the the same same. it's just what you get back right from it you know whether you've enjoyed the car for ten thousand miles in 10 years you know during your ownership or if you don't you've driven it one thousand miles for those 10 years when you go to get the service you know the 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 car that was driven more most likely has less deterioration components or or leaks but the reality of it is is the services are due and you know the you know the engine should be out and, mm-hmm. and gone through anyway okay what uh what is a major service cost on these i've heard numbers all over the board depending on who's doing it so what what do you charge for a full engine out major service with the valve adjustment? Just the regular service. Um, and that's including the, the components that are involved. It's, 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 
not as much as as any of the numbers you've probably heard. Okay. If if I was if you know if I was to talk to a client and he said just the major service, nothing else, I mean you're probably in the eighteen thousand dollar range. Um, but yeah, because I hear forty to fifty thrown about quite a bit. Like if it hasn't had a fifty thousand dollar service, that's yeah. not a career GT you want to buy. And and I would probably agree. You know, because like I said, you know, that's that's just what's on the service and what's required to be mm-hmm. done. Um, that doesn't include any of the components that have been aging out or, sure. um, you know, all the additional items that I do when the engine's out. Um, because the reality is, is like we were, like we we're talking about, um, th- all of the work to get the engine out is done. So mm-hmm. at that point, it, it becomes, it, 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 it pays dividends to, to go through the car and, and do all of the common failure points, whether that be an extra gasket or a seal or an alternator or a starter. Cause at that, that, you know, we're talking minimal amount of labor cause it's out on a stand versus if, if, if I return the car and a year or two later, a, a seal or a gasket starts to leak. Now you've got to get you know, hopefully you don't have to pull the engine all the way back out, but you still have got to get the subframe down, the suspension off the car. And so it just becomes, you know, one of those typical while you're in there jobs, Mm -hmm. but it's also, you know, an investment, you know? Mm -hmm. So when I, when I do the, the, the comprehensive uh, major service that, that I do, um, my goal is that the the engine will never have to be removed, and there won't be any more. There won't be any failures on it for ten to twelve years, hmm. and that's that's the ultimate goal. And and what's included in that is, like I said, every seal that I that I know that fails or leaks and gaskets, um, you know, so much more. And and working working on so many of these cars, and and doing it over the last nine years you know, working on the Carrera GT, it, it allows me almost to predict the future on some of these items. Mm. You know, I could look at a, a seal in or, or other service centers, other craftsmen could, could have the engine out. They could do everything on it. That's, that's failed. You know, every gasket, every component, you know, it's not magic to replace something that's leaking, but that same guy's going to put the car back together. And then that seal that I knew was going to fail because I've done it on 10 other cars. He could have done it for, you know, say a hundred dollars, $200 when the engine was out. But now that client has to go back to the dealer. The car's down again and he's got to pay to get to that point mm-hmm. again. And depending on what that component is, it could be a couple thousand or the engine could come have to come back out. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Makes sense. Um, a people say this to me in a, kind of joking way like non-car people but they always like talk about you know the whole paul walker career gt thing and most of the time people bring it up it's not in the best light but it does bring up a very good point like the car that paul walker died in and roger wrote us um it was on very old slash maybe original tires and they weren't warmed up and you know there's all sorts of other things but you know one of the big factors of that was old tires and that's obviously a problem on cars that don't get driven um how often do you see cars come in with either original or really really old tires on them 
because they're collectible? <laughs> um, a lot less common now. Um, now, and yeah. I think that's because that particular you know incident shed light on that that point. Um, and it's not just the Carrera GT. I mean, I've serviced low mile, you know, 996s, 997 GT cars, and it's the same scenario. Um, and a lot of it is just, you know, like I mentioned about the service, is it's just lack of lack of knowledge. Um, you know, they may not be trying to, you know, not spend the money. They, you know, they just nobody's had brought that point up to them mm-hmm. because the average service center is just going to do what they see and then. And then let the car out the door, right. you know, and, and that, and depending on who works on the car, they may not notice, they may not even look at the date code. They may do their tread depth measurement that the safety check sheet asked for mm-hmm. and then move, move on with, you know, the rest of the service. Um, but, um, you know, so I think if there's one good thing that's come from it, it's, it's that awareness, awareness yeah. of, of, you know, parts aging out, even if they're not wearing out yeah. and, you know, tires are being, the, you know, the biggest factor, it being the only thing that touches the road. Um, but, you know, even suspension components, the, the, the dampers, they're all original. They're all starting to leak and, and fail. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, obviously engine components, but. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, so since you've started your business, values on the Carrera GTs have just about doubled. <laughs> um how has that changed how people are driving them or how people are servicing them or both? I know I've experienced with some of my clients when their car goes up drastically in value, all of a sudden they either want to sell it or park it because they're scared to drive it. Uh, But then on the flip side, I see people spending a bunch of money on either good service that they should do or like, Oh, I'm going to throw two grand at a ceramic coat or whatever, because they look at it going, well, my car is now a quote unquote, an investment, um, because it's going up in value. So they don't really think about spending the money as much because they don't see it as spending money, but well, I'm going to get this money back because it's going up in value. So with the Carrera GTs doubling in value in the last year, have you seen an impact either in the demographic of your customers? Um, because you know, there's a certain demographic of people that are priced out of career GTs or have sold them now and a different demographic of collectors buying them. Has that impacted your business or how, how are you seeing that on your end? Um, or are you seeing any change or is it just business as usual for you? It, it has changed business and, and has changed the way, um, clients approach the service. Mm-hmm. Um, it's nowhere near, uh, how the, the, you know, the selling, the market, you know, buying and selling has, has drastically gone up. Um, I do, do feel clients are much more confident and comfortable spending the money because um, they do see it as a, an investment. Um, that's also, you know, I think why so many of these cars are deferred maintenance cases because for the longest time they were um, unappreciated, unappreciated, right. undervalued. Nobody wants um, to spend 40 grand on a car that they're not sure they're going to get their money back right, out of. Right, yeah. exactly. And so, um, yeah, there, there has been a, a, a tick up on that. Um, and like you said, a lot of clients are nervous to drive them because of the values. Um, rightfully so. I, I, I think some of my favorite clients were the guys that um, appreciated the car for what it was and picked them up in the threes, you know, mm-hmm. like your story was. Um, and 
you know, so those guys are starting to get a little nervous because it's a car that they would have never been able to, you know, to, to add to right. their collection at right. today's evaluations. Um, and so, you know, and, and some of those guys, you know, those are the guys are probably more um, prone to doing the service work because now it's like a, a, a no lose. Right. Um, but the interesting thing for me is um, a, a, a big portion of my um, business is, is the pre-purchase inspections that I do. Mm -hmm. um, them being such a specialty car, um, you know, you've got to go through the cars and evaluate them before you purchase one or sell mm -hmm. one because um, the values can change at least previously to this market the values could it could change the the value of the car 10 15 percent you know if it needed thirty thousand dollars worth of service or a hundred right when the or car if was it had hidden damage or if it you had know, hidden damage the exactly. service deferred maintenance is easy because you just say okay well it's a fifty thousand right. dollar question but yeah, looking for hidden damage, that's more than a $50,000 question. That's a pass-fail issue. Right, exactly. And so when the cars were worth, you know, six or seven, I was doing an inspection a month, sometimes more than that. Um, and what's interesting is now that the values have doubled or tripled for some of these cars, um, I probably do a third as many inspections. And I don't know if it's specifically because of the the dollar amount to the do, you know dollar amount of of the service and or or damage mm -hmm. to the value of the car is has gotten so much smaller you know that percentage is such mm -hmm. a smaller percentage or if it's because clients are are purchasing the cars just as a as a placeholder of money you know just specifically speculation yeah. and they don't you know they're only going to park it anyway and 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 let it sit and potentially go up in value um and, but that's probably the biggest thing I've seen. As far yeah, as service goes, uh, um, I, I think a lot of the clients that I I get um, the pleasure to speak with in service, um, they've made the decision before they've called me. Yeah. So I think the you know the the once that they call me, then they know they're taking the step to service the car. So I can't really speculate how many you know how how many more or how many less phone calls I get because of that. Right. Yeah, I I think you're right in terms of the speculation where people are people are buying for placeholders it's it's the same thing that's happening with houses people are waiving inspections because of all sorts of reasons but i see it so i am not to your level on a mechanic side but i do run a page called gt vault and i've established myself as an expert with the the 911 gt cars and so uh people were hiring me for consulting they were paying me to go inspect them um because even though I'm not a mechanic, I could do a far better inspection on GT3 than most Porsche technicians could. Um, so, um, which I find kind of funny, but um, it, yeah, it, that business is all but dried up because people have stopped asking those questions because they only see them as some sort of appreciating investment. And which I think is silly. I feel like they should be asking the questions more because they're paying more money for them and it's it's almost more risky like the, the downside is bigger now if you make a purchasing mistake but instead people are going ah, i don't they've stopped caring about it. it's just become about the money which is really sad but um we are just about out of time um but i had two quick kind of final questions for you um one is i, I mean you have an incredibly high standard here um and you've learned you've you've put yourself through an incredible education in terms of what you learn 
how many techs do you have working for you or is it just you and how in the world do you find somebody to hire with your standard um so i've, I've got two guys with me mm -hmm. and um specifically the two guys that were chosen was because of what i know they're capable of doing mm -hmm. um one i worked with uh, alongside with for a few years and so i was familiar in that sense and um he's the guy i have that comes in he does the, the more modern cars and um and yeah so i'm very comfortable with with his standard of of work and his um standard of of, of ethics um and so i was comfortable with that and then the, the second guy he does all of my my older older cars the air-cooled stuff um he's owned uh, um his own business in in the area it, it, that was renowned for um air-cooled porsches and porsche mm -hmm. race car stuff um he's been working on porsches for 45 years so um fortunately he um uh, passed the business along and sold it and so he's retired and um, doesn't want to deal with the day-to-day -day stuff. Mm -hmm. And I have just the, the, the right... perfect pace for him. Exactly. Yeah. I have just the right amount of cars for him. And I'm very clear with um, my expectations mm -hmm. in regards to um, what he has... I shouldn't say have to, but what, what I would like him to do. And it's really just him coming in and telling me what he wants. And so, for example, I've got an old 993 engine out. Um, you know, he came in, he drove the car, he evaluated what needed to be done. Um, we came up with a plan and he asked me and my other technician to have the engine out on the stand for him and he'll take it from here on out. So um, very excited about that. Um, he's a really good guy. And like I said, um, uh, specifically in the area, a lot of people know him and uh, they immediately recognize his name. Um, um, so I feel fortunate that he's willing to come in and he's as excited to come in as we are to have him. And, uh, yeah, so he comes in and he just does what he does, does his thing. and, um, I'm going to try to squeeze as much knowledge <laughs> and, and, um, you know, uh, connections and, and people and, um, cause every time he comes in, it, it, it's like second nature to him, you know, whether it be a contact that he has or a resource for parts, he, he just knows exactly where to go. Um, you know, maybe me and my other guy could get to the same end result, but not as efficient and not as, you know, straightforward as he can. So, um, it's, it's a perfect, you know, uh, you know, we work in harmony, you know, I do my career GT stuff and my, uh, my other tech does all the other modern, modern cars and he comes in to do the old, nice. old stuff. So it's a, it's a good team. Nice. All right, final question. So you start out driving Integras. What do you drive now? Um, I, I daily drive a Macan Turbo. Okay. Uh, first year Macan Turbo. Yep. Uh, love it. And I've got a, a 996 Turbo um, that I, I bought way back when the, the prices were much more reasonable and it was like the entry level for uh, a powerful 911. Mm -hmm. um, Fantastic cars. You know, almost half the price of a yeah. comparative 997. Hey, it's got the same steering wheel and dash as a Carrera GT. That's so. true, that's true. <laughs> well, not the dash. Um, but yeah, same. yeah, same cluster. Yeah, same cluster, that's, yeah. that's what I meant, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't, think I, I don't think I recognized that when I bought it, but for me it was, it was um, same engine architecture uh, transmission architecture same chassis as a 997 
turbo for half the price. Yep. And, and so that's what got me into that. I, I was doing a lot of drives and um, track weekends with clients. Mm -hmm. And um, I had to show up with something more respectable than my Subaru STI. <laughs> as, as capable as the car was, it didn't get the respect it, it, yep. I think it deserved. Absolutely. But, um, Absolutely. but yeah, those are my two Porsches. Awesome. Well, Jimmy, thank you for uh, making the time for us. And uh, yeah, especially on a Saturday night. Um, really quickly, where is the best place for people to find out about you or, or get information on your company or follow along what you're doing here? Um, I've got all the regular networks. I've got, um, you know, Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. It's okay. uh, Rapazi Motorworks. All right. Um, With an E, right? German? Yep, the German okay. way. And they, yeah, they could feel free to reach out there. All my contact information is there if they'd like to schedule a service. And, uh, awesome. Yeah. Great. Thank you for being on. Thank you. Appreciate yeah. it. Thanks for coming. Yeah. Well, we hope you enjoyed tonight's interview with Jimmy Rapazzi. And uh, it was very uh, eye-opening for me and edifying. And uh, I hope you guys learned as much as I did. If you have a suggestion for a guest to have on season two, we're happy to take road trips. Uh, I love driving, especially a wee bit above the speed limit. So send us a note with your suggestion of who you'd like to see on the show. Famous or not, we want to interview people that are influential and interesting in the car industry who have uh, things to share that would benefit the viewers. Thank you to my guest again, Jimmy Rapazzi, and uh, for his incredible hospitality and his wealth of knowledge. Thank you to our sponsors, Boxcast, Nuts for Sticks, Switch Cars, Celebrity Machines, Stephen Holm Woodworking, and Nathan's Detailing. Our bumper music is provided by Emily and Ivory. You can stream their full album on Spotify or SoundCloud. This episode will be available Friday in audio format wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next Wednesday at 8 p.m., where we'll look forward to answering your automotive questions to help you on the drive of your life. <laughs>